Welcome to Over Ends Myth, a podcast where me, Jesse Cooper, reads a story with, so reads H.P. Lovecraft story with another person, and uh, we we kind of talk about it. So uh, this will be labeled part two of color uh, out of the out of space for a reason because it's part two, um, and if you want to hear both parts together without any of the faffing about of us talking. Um, there will be an audiobook released, probably same day. Uh, but with me today is a, a person who is is going mad and seeing colors that are indescribable, and uh, it's Faith. Hey! Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, we are going to be doing uh, kind of a twofer today. I'm going to get done with the last, like, 15 or so pages of Color Out of Space. And uh, then we're going to talk about the manga adaptation by, it's Tonobi something, let me get that. How many pages is Color Out of Space? About 30. 30? Okay, that's what I thought. Wow, this is way longer than any other of his stories so far. Actually, is it 30 or is it 20-something? I felt like I've read... it's still a lot longer. Yeah, this is towards when he was starting writing a lot more. Nah, it's about 30. A little under 30. The, well, the Dexter, the case curious, well, not curious, I, I was trying to make it into a, a kid-friendly thing. The case of Dexter Ward um, is longer. So is Innsmouth over, uh, Shadow over Innsmouth and whatnot. Yeah, it's just so far we've really only had short stories longest we had was probably 10 10 to 15 this is technically still a short story yeah yeah they've been real short so far yeah so it's a uh, tanabi gal um who we'll be talking about later as well because they've also done other adaptation manga adaptations <laughs> and when i say manga adaptations like it's a very straightforward adaptation it's nothing it's the only thing that would make it different from doing a graphic novel here is that it's right to left, really. Yeah. Um, it's pretty representational art, and the story is pretty much told pretty... Gonna... Spoiler alert. Uh, pretty straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's very gorgeously done. So Yes, it's beautiful art. Yeah. Um, the only downside to it is it's black and white, as a lot of manga is, and um, for for something literally about the the color, uh, a little little disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know I wish it was all because the there's a couple color pages in the beginning, and they're really good. They're beautiful, and like don't get me wrong, the black and white is also very good. But I can, yeah, I wish it was all in color. <laughs> or, or even I get just, why, though. I get why. I understand why. Yeah, understand coloring why. adds an, another fifty percent of the time you already took on the comic. And it's add just, that back on to the end of it. That's how long coloring takes. And it's just one person as well. Yeah, it's just one dude doing it. <laughs> as as somebody who's done that all on their own, I understand. <laughs> I can still wish, though. I can still dream. Also, I would like to announce, uh, as much as I probably shouldn't say this, uh, you can find the Color uh, the Color Out of Darkness movie. 
uh, Color from the Dark. Um, that is the full thing is on uh, Daily Motion. So. Oh, and the the movie, so Color Out of Darkness is Italian. I was thinking of another Color Out of Space adaptation that's German, but it's called just The Color. Yeah, and it is in, it is in English and everything. Mm -hmm. It's just set in Italy. So, it was an Italian director. It was just like, yo, I want to do this. But also, I don't know, everyone speaks English in the movie? Some whatever yeah but yeah let's get into this uh if you want to get a previous on listen to the entire last episode yes thaddeus went mad in september after a visit to the well he'd gone with a pail and had come back empty-handed shrieking and raving his arms and sometimes lapsing into an inane titter or whisper about the moving colors down there two in one family was pretty bad. But Nathan was very brave about it. He let the boy run about for a week until he began stumbling and hurting himself. And then he shut him up in the attic room across the hall from his mother's. The way they screamed at each other from behind the locked doors was very terrible, especially to little Merwin, who fancied uh, they talked in some terrible language that was not of earth. Merwin was getting frightfully imaginative, and his restlessness was worse after shutting away the brother who was his, who had been his greatest playmate. Almost at the same time, the morality among the livestock commenced. Poultry be- turned grayish and died very quickly. Their meat was found dry and noresome upon cutting. Hogs grew inordinately fat, then began to undergo loathsome changes, which no one could explain. Their meat was, of course, useless, and Nathan was at his wit's end. No rural veterinary would approach his place, and the city veterinary from Arkham was openly baffled. The swine began to grow gray and brittle and falling apart in pieces before they died. Their eyes and muzzle developed a singular alterations. It was very inexplicable, for they have never been fed from the tainted vegetation. Then, something struck the cows. Certain areas, or sometimes the whole body, would be uncannily swiveled or compressed, and atrocious uh, collapses or disintegrations were common. In the late stages, and death was always the result. There would be graying and turning brittle, like which beset the hogs. There was no question of poison, for all the cases occurred in a locked, undisturbed barn. No bites or prowling things could have brought the virus. For what live beast on this earth could pass through solid objects? It must only be natural disease. Yet what disease could wreak such results was beyond any mind's guessing. When the harvest came, there was not an animal surviving on the place, for the stock and poultry were dead, and the dogs had run away. Those dogs, three in number, had vanished one night and were never found again. The five cats were left some time before. 
but their going was scarcely noticed, since there seemed to be no mice, and only Mrs. Gardiner made pets of the graceful felines. Let me tell you, that, uh, I would be very concerned if, if just a whole ass pig, like, turned into dust. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> be real concerned. And, and good on those cats and dogs. I mean, I hope they found. I hope they found a, a good home. <laughs> right. Also, I would like to remind people the idea of uh, cats and dogs like being treated as like loving pets wasn't a mainstream idea until sometime around the sixties. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, animal like animal rights wasn't really so. Like it started gaining traction around this time, but it wasn't widely accepted at all. Yeah, like, uh, dogs and cats were basically tools to, like, keep out pests and whatnot, or hunting tools, for a pretty long time, and it was fairly recently since we're just like, well, they're all princes. We love them. Like, um, they're certainly beloved pets, but it was kind of viewed as, like, a... It was weird. It was weird. Yeah, it was either a childish thing, or it was a rich person thing yeah because uh because it was basically people thought it would be like a waste of time and money to keep like another living being alive that wasn't working for you (laughs) (laughs) yeah so usually uh like i did a paper on pets in art history and that's a lot of the paintings from around this time that involved pets it was all young rich children (laughs) with pets it it's turns pretty out- much exclusively the that like anything with a pet in it. It was probably a young rich child in that portrait. And it turns out that the kids were right. Um, cats rule. Yeah. yeah, they do more than just cats mice. It's like they know. Yeah, they're just like, wow, this cat's great. And then they pet it, and the cat's like, "You're pretty great too." Also, you feed me. So there was actually a lot of. Um, the early 1800s there was a lot of unusual pets because like cats and stuff weren't really dogs were mostly used for hunting or other work like that cats weren't even in the u.s yet so like there's a lot of pictures of kids with like squirrels lambs and other like young livestock (laughs) i uh would love some domesticated squirrels right a also, lot of a lot of paintings of kids with squirrels. Also, speaking of cats, I found one of Dexter's whiskers. Huh? That's supposed to be like lucky or something, right? Yes. Well, I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna put it in a bag and put it be like Dexter's whisker. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> the whisker of a beautiful boy. <laughs> yep. Um, he graced me with with some good luck. On the 19th of October, Natham staggered into Ami's house with hideous news. The death had come to poor Thaddeus in his attic room, and had come in a way which could not be told. Nathan had dug a grave in the railed family plot. Uh, Behind the uh, farm, and put therein what he found. There could have been nothing from outside. 
for the small barred window and locked door was intact. But it was much like it had been in the barn. Ami and his wife consoled the stricken man the best they could. But they shuddered as they did so. Stark terror seemed to cling around the gardeners and all they touched. In the very presence of one in the house was a breath from regions, unnamed and unnameable. Ami accompanied Nathan uh, home with the greatest reluctance and did what he could to calm the hysterical sobbing of, of little Merwin. Zinnius need no calming. He had come of late to do nothing but stare into space and obey what his father told him. And Ami thought his fate was very merciful. Now, and then Merwin's scream was answered faintly from the attic. And in response to an inquiring look, Nathan said his wife was getting very feeble. When night approached, Stommy managed to get away. Not for even friendship could make him stay in that spot when the faint glow of the vegetation began and the trees may or may not have swayed without wind. It was very lucky for Ami that he was not more imaginative. Even as things were, his his mind was bent over ever so slightly, but he been able to connect and reflect upon the portents of around him. He must inevitably have turned into a total maniac. In twilight, he hastened home, the screams of the mad woman and nervous child ringing horribly in his ears. Three days later, Nathan lurched onto Ami's kitchen in that early morning, and in the absence of his host, stammered out of a desperate tale once more. While Mrs. Pierce listened in a clutching fright, it was little Merwin this time. He was gone. He had gone out late at night with a lantern and pail for water and never come back. He had been going to pieces for days and hardly knew what he was about, screaming at everything. There had been a frantic shriek from the yard then. But before the father could get to the door, the boy was gone. There was no glow from the lantern he had taken, and the child himself no trace. At the time, Nathan thought the lantern impale was gone too. But when dawn came, the man had plodded uh, back from his all-night search in the woods and fields. He found various curious things near the well. There was a crushed and apparently somewhat melted mass of iron, which certainly seemed to have been the lantern, while a bent pail and twisted iron hooks beside. Both half-fused, seeming to hint at the remnants of the pail. That was all. Nathan was past imagining. Mrs. Pierce was blank, and Ami when he had reached the home and heard uh, the tale, could give no guesses. Merwin was gone, and there could be no use to tell people around who shunned all gardeners now. No use either in telling the city people at Arkham who laughed at everything. Thad was gone, and now Murney was gone. 
Something was creeping and crawling and raiding to be seen, felt, and heard. Nathan would go soon. He wanted Ami to look after his wife and Xenius, uh, if they survived. All must be judgment of some sort. Though he could not fancy what for, since he had walked uprightly in the Lord's ways as far as he knew. For two weeks, Ami saw nothing of Nathan, and then, worried what might have happened, he overcame his fears and paid the gardener place a visit. There was no smoke from the great chimney, and for a moment the visitor was apprehensive of the worst. The aspect of the whole farm was shocking. Grayish withered grass and leaves on the ground, vines falling brittle, wreckage from archaic walls and gables, and great bare trees clawing up the gray November sky with studied malice, which army could not but Phil had come some subtle change in the tilt of the branches. But Nathan was alive, after all. He was weak, and laying on the couch in a low-ceiling kitchen, but perfectly conscious and able to give simple orders as Aeneas. The room was dead cold, and Ami was visibly shivering. The hosts shouted huskily at Xenius for more wood. Wood, indeed was sorely needed, since the cavernous fireplace was unlit and empty, but a cloud of soot blowing about in the wind, in the chill wind that came down the chimney. Presently, Natham asked him, presently, Natham asked if extra wood wouldn't make him any more comfortable. And then Ami saw what happened. The stoutest cord had broke, at last. The hapless farmer's mind was proof against more sorrow. Questioning tactfully, Army could get no clear data about the missing Xenius. In the well. He lives in the well. It was all he, the clouded father could say. Then there were flashes across the visitor's mind. A sudden thought of the mad wife. He changed his line of inquiry. Nabby. Why? Here she is was the surprised response of poor Nathan, and Ami saw soon what he must search for himself. Leaving the harmless babbler on the couch, he took the keys from the nail beside the door and climbed the creaking stairs to the attic. It was very close and noisome up there. No sound could be heard from any direction. Of four doors in sight, only one was locked. And on this he tried various keys on the ring he had taken. The third key proved to be the right one, and after some fumbling, Army threw open the low white door. It was quite dark inside, for the window was small and half obscured by crude wooden bars, and Ami could see nothing at all. To the wide planked floor, the stench was beyond enduring, and before proceeding farther, he had to retreat to another room and return with his lungs filled with breathable air. When he did enter, he saw something dark in the corner. Upon seeing it more clearly, he screamed outright. While he screamed, he thought in a momentary 
cloud eclipsed the window, and a second later he felt himself brushed, as if by some hateful current of vapor. Strange colors danced before his eyes, and if not a present horror had numbed him, he would have thought of the meteorite that the geologist's hammers had shattered, and the morbid vegetation that sprouted in spring. As if, he thought, only the blasphemous monstrosity that confronted him, and which was all too clear, had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing about this horror was that it was very slowly and perceptibly moving as it continued to crumble. Ami would give me no added particulars to the scene, but the shapes in the corner did not reappear in his tail as a moving object. They were things that could not be mentioned. And what is done is common. Humanity is sometimes cruelly judged by the law. I gathered that no moving thing was left in that attic room, and that to leave anything capable of motion would have been a deed so monstrous as to damn any accountable being to eternal torment. Anyone but a stolid farmer would have fainted or gone mad, but Army walked consciously through that low doorway and locked the accursed secret behind him. There would be Nathan to deal with now. He must be fed and tended, and removed to some place that he could be cared for. That... Oof, like, okay, so I want to point out a couple of things that they that he's done in in the last couple paragraphs that I read. Um, he did a really good job at both, because, like, a lot of the stuff, because we've been focusing a lot on just, like, the landscape for the last several pages, and he managed to bring back in the the uh you know the the weird thing inside the meteorite that like kind of just burst mm-hmm. um and like the actual color and how that is contrasting and I feel like this was a good way of calling back to that information without being without having just exposition um and also maybe. To give you a little bit of an idea what happened and why everything is going gray. Yeah. Because I don't know if you, you know, get it, but it's the, the the color is stealing color from other things. and Yeah. yeah. It steals the color. Yeah, yeah. It's taking... The color yeah. is stealing the color. Yeah. Out of, like, all the living beings. And some wacky stuff might happen later. Yeah. By wacky, I mean actually like pretty terrifying. This 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 story is actually very scary and suspenseful, and I love love it a lot. You thought that like this part, like this entire family having life sucked out of them and being reduced to nothing but like a pile of flesh was bad. Um, it's worse. No, things get way it gets worse. worse. We're like ten. <laughs> it gets way worse. We're, we're about ten pages away, and like there's about to be a lot of description of some very horrifying stuff. Oh yeah, there's a lot of. <laughs> Ooh, you thought we have a lot of this is a cosmic horror story. We've had a lot of horror. We we're about to get to the cosmic part. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> also, I like how delicately that they put like he shot his wife dead. 
Yeah. Like, he put it very delicately. Yes. And, like, the whole, like, reasoning and behind it and everything to, and to make us, like, you know, still be on Army's, uh, Ami's side. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 out of 10. It's like, it's a good story. Um, yeah, so. <clears throat> Commencing his descent of the dark stairs, Ami heard a thud below him. He even thought a scream would have been suddenly choked off, then recalled nervously the clammy vapor which brushed by him in the frightful room above. What presence had his cry and entry started up, halted by some vague fear, he heard still further sounds below, indubitably. There was a sort of heavy dragging, and a most detestable sticky noise of some fiendish and unclear species of suction, with an associative sense goaded to fervish height. He had unaccountably, he, well, he thought unaccountably of what he had seen upstairs. Good God, what eldritch dream world was this? into which he blundered. He dared move neither backward nor forward, but stood there trembling at the black curve of the boxed-in staircase. Every trifle of the scene burned itself into his brain. The sounds and the sense of dreaded expectancy, the dark, the steepness of the narrow steps, and merciful heavens, the faint but unmistakable luminosity of all the woodwork in sight, steps, sides, exposed lathes, and beams alike. Then there burst forth a frantic whinny of Army's horse outside, followed by a clatter which told of a frenzy runaway. In another moment, horse and buggy had gone beyond earshot, leaving the frightened man on the dark stairs to guess what had sent them. But that was not all. There had been another sound out there. A sort of liquid splash. Water. It must have been the well. He had left Hero untied near it, and a buggy wheel must have brushed the copping and knocked in a stone, and still the pale phosphorescence glowed in that detestably ancient woodwork. God, how old this house was. Must have been built before 1670, and the garble roof no later than 1730. I'm just gonna say, I feel like that last sentence wasn't needed. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know, that kind of just took me. That was just like, ooh, this is real spooky, and then it just was like, hey, architecture time. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. We're going to talk about this old house, this fine and rustic architecture. <laughs> if these walls could talk. <laughs> Welcome to Antiques Roadhouse, H.P. Lovecraft Edition. A feeble scratching on the door downstairs now sounded distinctly, and Ami's grip tightened on a heavy stick he had picked up from the attic for some purpose. 
Okay, I want to point something out here. <laughs> I wish they didn't call out for some purpose. <laughs> there. I know I'm nitpicking. <laughs> I know I'm nitpicking at this point. But it's also just like, why was there a stick up there? Why? Why would you why would you give your your forgive me for sounding ableist, insane wife a a weapon to either harm herself or others? Yeah. Or a tool to break down the it's wooden bars. Like it, you know, you can you can do stuff with that. With a with a stick. If you're careful enough. Yeah. So like why? Why was there a stick up there? It's almost as if like he just rolled really high on a perception roll and the DM was just like, Yeah, I guess there's a rock close by. <laughs> yeah. They're like, What do I see? <laughs> they're like, Oh shit, uh a stick. And they're like Okay. <laughs> I, I said that this was a boring room with nothing in it. I guess that's a trigger word for you. But do I see anything? <laughs> nothing. It's just a boring room with nothing in it. But I guess you see a rock. You see- <laughs> Okay. Fine. There's a stick. There There's you go. There's a stick. And your <laughs> wizard looks at it. It's not magical. It's just a plain stick. Someone must have brought it in. <laughs> <laughs> and then they still end up keeping it for the entire adventure. <laughs> you forget why they have a stick. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel bad sometimes comparing D&D players to like toddlers but like it feels like that sometimes like sometimes it's like that like, like I mean I'm not saying that I'm free of it it's just like like DMing a game you're just like hey I said this thing multiple times in clear thing why aren't you getting it <laughs> the person you took notes said the thing back to me and went to the complete opposite <laughs> That's how it be. <laughs> this puzzle is simply an addition puzzle. Why are you <laughs> overblowing this? Why? <laughs> that pole is not a mimic, neither is that chest. <laughs> one, of, one of my groups spent five hours on a puzzle that was just like a color theme puzzle. It, I don't, like, we thought it was way more complicated. No, no, sometimes when you... But also knowing our DM, we were like, this is going to be a really complicated puzzle. <laughs> was it? We were like, how dare you? We were prepared. Really, that's just like, that's the greatest uh, tool in a DM's, uh, a DM's toolbox. Like, just making the, uh, making the players, like, dread something that is not a thing at all. That is not, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because, like, all of our other puzzles were really complicated and took forever. And then, so this one, that's all, we just assumed it was going to be something really hard. Turns out it was super easy. Yeah, I, I, uh, so story time a little bit. So, uh, the game that I DM'd for Faith and some of my friends, um, we, I had a puzzle that was literally just like a forging process. Like, like it was just like, okay, you have rocks, you have a fire, you have an anvil. You have some water, and you have a guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's literally step by step. Like, if you just looked at like, it wasn't even put out of order either. It was like, if you just walked in the room and looked, like, clockwise, it would have been, it was, it was, you got, you would have gotten it. It would have made sense. But yeah. it took you guys, like, like an hour and a half. I know. And you're just like, oh, is, is there that anything rough- magical? Like, yeah. This- <laughs> that was a rough day. <laughs> I feel like that was one of the ones, that's another time. <laughs> this is going to be way more complicated. It can't be this easy. And I never make complicated puzzles. <laughs> this is <a> thing. 
Because I... Because I, because people will not figure them out. Like I've, I've learned from my last groups. Don't make complicated puzzles. Make them straightforward and give them the answers if they roll high enough. Yeah, it has to be a linear puzzle, otherwise it's gonna be so confusing. And and, and I gave you the answer, but you still messed up. We had one brain cell between us. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, for some reason he rolled really high, and the DM just gave him a stick because he kept on rolling perception and looking at everything. He's like. Fuck, what? It's a stick. There you, you go. Got a stick. <laughs> That's the only thing in the attic. It's probably you're not focusing on the dead body. <laughs> you're focusing on the wrong thing. There's half a corpse in the middle of the room. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you focused on this stick? It's, it's real fucked up, too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a neon sign over the dead body saying, here's what you need to focus on, and you're looking the opposite way. <sighs> yeah. You're like, what's the stick over here? Slowly nerving himself, he finished his descent and walked boldly forward to the kitchen. But he could not complete the walk, because what he sought was no because what he sought was no longer there. It had come to meet him, and it was still alive after a fashion. Whether it had crawled or whether it had dragged by any external force? Ami could not say. But the death should have been at it. Everything had happened in the last hour, but collapsed, graying, and disintegrating were already far advanced. There's a horrible brittleness and dry fragments were scaling off. Ami could not touch it, but he looked horrified in the distorted parody of what had been a face. What was it, Nathan? What was it? He whispered in the cleft, bulging lips. We're just able to crackle out a final answer. Nothing. Nothing. The color, it burns. Cold and wet, but it burns. It lives in the well. I've seen it. A kind of smoke. Just like the flowers last spring. And the well shone at night. That and Myrny and Zinnius. Everything alive. Sucking the life out of everything. In that stone, it must have come alive. It must have come in that stone. Prison, the whole place. Don't know what it wants. That round thing to men from college dug a mouth stone, then smashed. It was the same color, just the same, like the flowers and plants. Must have been more of them. Seeds, seeds that grew. I seen it first time. This week. Must have gotten strong on Xenius. He was a big boy full of life. It beats down your mind. Then it gets you. Burns you up. In the well water. You're right about that. Evil water. Xenius never come back from the well. Can't get a ray. Draws you. You know something's coming. But taint no use. 
I seen in a time. And again, Sincinius was took. Where's an abbey? Army? My head's no good. Don't know how long since I fed her. I get her if ain't cheerful. Just a color. Her face getting to have that color sometime. Towards night, it burns and sucks. It comes from a place where things ain't as they is here. One of the professors said so. He was right. Look out, Ami. It'll do something more. Sucks the life out. And that was all. That which spoke could speak no more. Because I'd come. Because it completely caved in. Ami's laid a red checkered tablecloth over what was left and reeled out the back door into the fields. He climbed the slopes to the ten-acre pasture and stumbled home by the north road in the woods. He could not pass that well from which his horse had run away. He looked at it through the window. You can see that there was no stone missing from the rim. Then the lurching buggy had not dislodged anything at all. The splash must have been something else. Something which went into the well after it had done something with poor Nathan. I gotta say, for an exposition dump, for basically telling the reader exactly what they should have known already, that was, like, pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Like, it was all done with, like, ellipses and everything. And, uh, ugh. Oof, 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 oof. Like, I wish, I wish I wasn't spooked right now, but I am actually spooked. <laughs> Like I got that I got that dread in my heart. Oof. And Well, it also gave us some new information what the color feels like. Well yeah, it's uh cold and wet. But it burns. Burns ya. Dry ice. Yeah. It was a dry ice cloud. Dry ice cloud. It was this <laughs> When Army reached his house, the horse and buggy had arrived before him and thrown his wife into fits of anxiety. Reassuring her without explanations, he set out once more for Arkham and notified the authorities that the Gardner family was no more. He indulged in no details, but merely told of the deaths of Natham and Nabby, and that of Thaddeus being already known, and mentioned that the cause seemed to be a strange ailment which killed the livestock. He also stated that Merwin and Zinnius had disappeared. There was considerable questioning at the police station but in the end, Ami was compelled to take three officers to the gardener farm, together with the coroner, the medical examiner, and the veterinary, who, was, who had treated the disease in animals. He had went against his will, for the afternoon was advancing, and he feared the fall of night over that accursed place, but it was some comfort to have so many people with him. The six men drove out, in the Democrat wagon, following Ami's uh, buggy, and arrived in the pest-ridden farmhouse about four o'clock. Used as the officers were to the gruesome experiences, not one remained unmoved with what was found in the attic and under the red checkered tablecloth on the floor below. The whole aspect of the farm 
with the graying desolation was terrible enough, but those two crumbling objects was beyond all bounds. No one could look long at them, and even the medical examiner admitted that there was very little to examine. Specimens could be analyzed, of course. So he busied himself obtaining them. And here it developed a very puzzling aftermath. Develops what was a very puzzling aftermath. Occurred at the college laboratory where the two files of dust were finally taken. Under spectrometer, both samples gave off an unknown spectrum, which many of the baffling bands were precisely like those which the strange meteor had yielded in the previous year. The property was emitting this spectrum. Vanished in a month, the dust thereafter consisted mainly of alkaline phosphates and carbon. Ami would not have told the man about the well if he thought they meant to do anything then and there. He was getting towards sunset, and he was anxious to be away. But he could not help but glancing nervously at the stony curb with, uh, by the great sweep. And when a detective questioned him, he admitted Nathan feared something down there. So much that he'd never thought of searching it for Merwin or Zinnius. After that, nothing could be done but empty and explore the well immediately. So Army had to wait, trembling, while pail after pail of rank water was hauled up then splashed on the sparkling ground outside. The men sniffed in, in disgust at the fluid, and towards the last held their nose against the fetor that they were uncovering. It was not long a job, as they feared, since the water was phenomenally low. There is no need to speak too exactly what they found. Merwin and Zinnius were both there, in part, though vestiges were mainly skeletal. There is also a small deer, a large dog about the same state, and a number of bones of smaller animals. The ooze and slime at the bottom seem inexplicably porous and bubbling, and a man who descended on handholds with a long pole found he can sink the wooden shaft to any depth of the mud floor without meeting any solid obstruction. Oh, Christ. That was a real disgusting. <laughs> oh. It is gross. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just climb into this slimy well filled with, with some putrid mud. Stick a stick in it. It's fine. It's fine. So for people who don't really know how wells work, uh, they're basically dug into a aquifer somewhere. Um, sometimes they're not Sometimes they're deep, uh, sometimes they're kind of shallow, but you're going to have to get, like, but you normally have to dig down a, you know, a fairly decent amount to have a good well. Yeah. Um. Yep. And to have someone, mm, God, I'm just thinking about it, it hurts. It's gross. <laughs> it's really gross. To, to be able to, like, just stick a stick down and, like, have no end 
And let's say let's say the stick was like six foot tall, maybe ten foot. Let's say he literally poked at it with a ten foot pole. For it not to reach the end, and he was already at what was seemed to be the bottom. That is ugh, that's so much just mm, mm, just grime Ooh. and mm. uh, and like after that well is drained a little bit. Twilight has now fallen, and the lanterns were brought from the house. Then, when it was seen that nothing further could be gained from the well, everyone went indoor and conferred in the ancient sitting room where the intermittent light of spectral half-moon played wanely on the dark desolation outside. Uh, That's a tasty sentence. That's real good. That's a, like, I, there's been a lot of that's good. It's been a lot of good sentences, but like, man, that's a pretty good one. The men were frankly nonplussed by the entire case, and could find no convincing common element to link the strange vegetable conditions and the unknown disease of the livestock and the unaccountable deaths of Merwin and Cineas in the tainted well. Then they had heard. They had heard the common country talk. It is true, but no, but could not believe anything contrary to natural law had occurred. No doubt the meteor was poisoned the soil, but the illness of persons and animals who had eaten nothing grown in that soil was another matter. Was it the well water? Very possibly. It might have been a good idea to analyze it, but what particular madness? could make both boys jump into their well. Their deeds so similar, and the fragments shown that they both suffered from the gray, brittle death. Why was everything so gray and brittle? It was a coroner, seated near a window overlooking the yard, who noticed the glow from the well. Night had fully set in, and all the aberrant ground seemed faintly luminous with more than the fitful moonbeams, then this new glow was something definite and distinct, and appeared to shoot up from the black pit like a softened ray from a searchlight, given dull reflections in the little ground pool where water had been emptied. It had a very queer color. And as all men clustered around the window, Ami gave a violent start. For this strange beam of ghastly miasma was to him no no familiar hue. He had seen that color before. Ami gave a violent start, for this strange beam of ghastly miasma to him was no unfamiliar hue. He had seen that color before and it feared him to think what it might mean. He had seen it the, in the brittle, in that nasty brittle globule, in that era light two summers ago. He had seen it in the crazy vegetation in the springtime, and thought he had seen it for an instant the very morning Against the small barred window of that terrible attic room, nameless things happened. It 
It flashed there for a second. A clammy and hateful current of vapor brushed past him. Then poor Nathan, who had been taken by something of that color. He had said, so at last. It was like that gobble in the plants. After that, he came to the runaway, in the yard and the splash in the well. Now, that well was belching forth into the night, a pale, insidious beam of the same demonic taint. It does a credit to the alertness of Ami's mind that he puzzled even at that tense moment over a point which was essentially scientific. He could not but wonder at his gleaning of a same impression from a vapor glimpsed in daytime against a window opening on morning sky from a nocturnal exhalation. Seen as phosphorescent mist against the black and blasted landscape, it was not right. It was against nature. He thought those terrible last words of a stricken friend. It came from place where things ain't as they are here. One of them professors says so. Tied to a pair of shriveled saplings by the road were now neighing and pawing frantically. The wagon driver started for the door to do something, but Ami laid a shaking hand on his shoulder. Don't go out there, he whispered. There's more to this nor what we know. Nathan said something living in the well that sucks your life out. He said that there must be something that growed from that round ball, like the one we all seen in the meteor stone that fell a year ago, June. Sucks and burns, he said. And it's just a cloud of color, like the light out there now, that you can barely see, and can't tell you what it is. Nathan thought it fed on every living thing, and gets stronger all the time. He said that he seen it last week. Must have been something from away off in the sky, like men from the college last year says a meter stone was. The way they, the way it's made, and the way it works ain't like no way of God's world. It's a certain from beyond. So the men pause and end. And so the men paused indecisively as the light from the well grew stronger, and the hitched horse pawed and whinnied in frequent frenzy. It was truly an awful moment, with terror, in the ancient and accursed house itself. Four monstrous sets of fragments, two from the house and two from the well, in the woodshed behind, and the shaft of unknown holy iridescence from the slimy depths in front, Ami had restrained the driver on impulse, forgetting how uninjured he was after the clammy brushing of the color vapor in the attic room, and perhaps it was just as well he acted as he did. No one will ever know what was abroad that night, and thought, the blasphemy from beyond had not so 
far hurt any human of unweak mind. There was no telling what it might not have done that, uh, that last moment with its seemingly increased strength and the special signs of purpose it soon displayed beneath a half-clouded moon-lit sky. All at once, the detectives at the window gave a short, sharp gasp. The others looked at him and then quickly followed his gaze towards the point at which its idle straying had been suddenly arrested. There was no need for words. What had been disputed in a country gossip was disputed no longer, and it was because of the thing which every man of that party agreed in whispering later on that the strange days are never talked about in Arkham. It's necessary to the premise that there was no wind that hour that of the evening. One did not arise uh, at, long afterward, and there was absolutely none of them. Even the dry tips of lingering hedge mustard, gray and blighted, in the fringe of the roof of the standing Democrat wagon was unstirred. Yet, amidst the tents, Godless calm, the high bare boughs of the trees in the yard were moving. They were twitching morbidly and spasmodically, clawing in the convulsive and epileptic madness in the moonlit clouds, scratching impotently at the noxious air as if jerked around by some alien and bodiless line of linkage with the subterranean horror writhing and struggling below the black roots. Not a man breathed for several seconds. Then a cloud of darker depths passed over the moon and the silhouette of clutching branches faded out momentarily. At this there was a general cry, muffled with awe, but husky, almost identical from every throat, for the terror had not faded with the silhouette, and in the fearsome instance of deeper darkness, the watchers watched wiggling at the treetop's height a thousand points of faint, unhollow radiance, tipping at each bough like the fire of St. Elmo's or the flames that came down on the Apostle's head at Pentecost. It was a monstrous consolation of a natural light, like the glutted swarm of corpse-filled fireflies danced hellish sandbars over the accursed marsh, and its colors was the same nameless intrusion which Ami had come to recognize and dread. It was all while the shaft of phosphorescence from the well was getting brighter and brighter bringing to the minds of huddled men a sense of doom and abnormality, which outtraced any image of their conscious minds could form. It was no longer shining out. It was pouring out as a shapeless stream of implacable color left the well and seemed to flow directly into the sky. The veterinary shuddered and walked into the front door and dropped a he extra heavy bar across it, 
army shook no less in point for lack of controllable voice when he wished to draw notice to the glowing luminosity of the trees. The neighing and stamping of the horses became utterly frightful, and not a soul of the group in the old house would have ventured forth for any earthly reward. With the moments of shining in the trees increased, with the moments of the shining in the trees increased, their restless branches seemed to strain more and more towards verticality. The wood of the wind swept, the wood of the well swept, now shining, and presently a policeman dumbly pointed towards a wooden shed and beehives near the stone wall on the west. They were commencing to shine too, though the tethered vehicles of the visitors seemed so far unaffected. There was a wild commotion and clopping on the woods as Ami quenched the lamps for better seeing. They realized that the span of frantic grays had broke the saplings and running off with the Democrat wagon. The shock serving to loosen several tongues and embarrassed whispers were, It spreads on everything organic that's been around here, muttered the medical examiner. No one replied, but the man had been in the well gave a hint that his long pole must have stirred up something intangible. It was awful, he added. There's no bottom, just ooze and bubbles, the feeling something lurking under there. Ami's horse is still pawing and screaming, deafening in the road outside, nearly drowned in its owner's faint quiver as he mumbled his formless reflection. It came from the stone, crowed down there. It got everything living. It fed on itself. In a mind's embodies Thad and Myrny and Xerneas and Nabby. Nathan was last. They all drank the water. It got strong on them. It was from beyond where things aren't like they're here. Now it's going home. At this point, the color of unknown color flailed suddenly stronger and began to weave itself in fantastic suggestions of shapes, which each spectator later described differently. There came from poor tethered hero, such a sound no man before and since ever heard from a horse. Every person in that low-pitched sitting room stopped his ears, and army turned. Words cannot convey it. When Army looked again, the hapless beast lay huddled and inert in the moonlit ground between the splintered shafts of the buggy. That was the last of Hero, till they buried him the next day. But the present was no time to mourn, for in that instant, a detective silently called to attention something terrible in the very room with them, in the absence of lamplight, it was clear that a faint phosphorescence began to pervade the entire apartment. It glowed on the broad planked floor, the fragment of rag carpet, and shimmered over the sashes of 
small pane windows. It ran up and down the exposed corner posts, shining about the shelf and mantel, infecting the very doors and furniture. Each minute saw it strengthen, and at last it was very plain that healthy things must leave this house. Ami showed them the back door and the path through the fields and the ten-acre pasture. They walk and stumbled, as if in a dream, and did not dare to look back until they were far away on high ground. They were glad of the path, for they could not have gone uh, the front way. By that well, it had enough passing the glowing barn and shed, and the shining orchard trees with the gnarled Phoenix contours, and thank heavens the branch did their worst twisting high up. The moon was under very black clouds as they crossed the rustic bridge over Chapman's Brook, and it was blind groping there to the open meadows. When they looked back in the distant gardener place at the bottom, they saw a fearful sight. All the farmers shining with the hideous unknown blend of color, trees, buildings, and even such grass and herbage that had not been wholly changed to lethal gray brittleness. The boughs were all straining skyward, tipped with the tongue of foul flame and lambent trickling of that monstrous fire creeping about the ridge poles of the house, barn, and shed. It was a scene from a visit of Fusli, and over all the rest reigned a riot of luminous amorphousness, that alien, undimensioned rainbow of cryptic poison from that royal, seething and feeling, lapping, reaching, scrutinizing, straining and malignly bubbling in its cosmic and unrecognizable chrosmaticism. When, without warning, the hideous thing shot vertically up towards the sky like a rocket or meteor, leaving behind no trail, and disappearing through a round and curious regular hole in the cloud before any man could gasp out or cry out. No watcher could ever forget that sight, and Ami stared blank blankly at the stars, Sainjus and Debus, twinkling before the others, where the unknown color melted into the Milky Way. But his gaze was the next moment, called swiftly to the earth by the crackling of the valley. It was just that, only a, only a wooden ripping and crackling, and not an explosion, as so many others of the party vowed. Yet the outcome was the same. For one feverish kaleidoscopic instance was a burst up from that doomed and accursed farm, a gleaming, eruptive cataclysm of unnatural sparkles and substance, blurring the, the glance of the few who saw it, and sending forth to the zenith a bombarding cloudburst of such color and fantastic fragment that our universe must needs disown 
through quickly reclosing vapors. They follow they follow the great morbidity vanished. And in another second, that vanished uh, they vanished too. Behind and below was only a darkness which the men dared not return. And all about mounting a wind that seemed to sweep for a gust from interstellar space. It shrieking and howled and lashing at the fields, distorting the wood in a mad cosmic frenzy. The trembling party realized there'd be no use for the moon to show what was left there at Natham's. Too odd at the evening to hint theories, the seven shaking men trudged back towards Arkham by North Road. An army was worse than his fellows and begged them to see him inside his kitchen, instead of keeping straight on to town. He did not wish to cross the nighted, wind-whipped woods along his home on the main road, for he had an added shock that the others were spared, and was crushed forever by the brooding fear that he dared not even mention for many years to come. As for the rest of the watchers on the tempestuous hill, had stolenly set their faces towards the road. Ami had looked back an instant in the shadowed valley of desolation, so lately sheltering his ill-starred friend, and from that stricken faraway spot, he had seen something feebly rise, only to sink down again upon the place from which the great shapeless horror shot into the sky. It was just a color, but not any color of the earth, because Ami recognized that color, and knew, and knew that this last faint remnant still lurked down there, in the well, and he had never been quite right since. Ami would never go near the place again. It's been over half a century now and the, since the horror happened, and we'll be glad when the new reservoir blots it out. I shall be glad too, for I do not like the way the sunlight changed colors around the mouth of that abandoned well I passed. I hope the water will always be very deep, but even so I shall never drink it. I will not think I shall visit Arkham County hereafter. Three of the men who had been with Ami returned the next morning to see the ruins by daylight, but they were not any real ruins. Only the brick of the chimney, the stones of the cellar, and some mineral and metallic litter was here and there, in the rim of that nefarious well. Save Ami's dead horse, which they towed away and buried, and the buggy which they shortly returned to him. Everything that had ever been living had gone. Five Eldritch acres of dusty gray desert remains nor has anything ever grown there since. To this day it sprawls open to the sky, like a great spot eaten by acid in the woods and fields, and the few who dared glimpse it in spite of the rural tales have named it the Blasted Heath. The rural tales are queer. They might even be queerer if city folk and college chemists might be interested enough to analyze the water from that disuse well or the gray dust that no wind ever seems to disperse. Botanists, too, ought to study the stunted flora, 
on the border of that spot, for they might shed a light on the country notion that the blight is spreading, little by little, perhaps an inch a year. People say that the color of the neighborhood herbage is not quite right in the spring, and wild things look queer prints in late winter. Snow never seems to come quite as heavy on the blasted heath as elsewhere. Horses and the few that are left in in the, this motor age grow skittish in the silent valleys, and hunters cannot depend on their dog too near the splots of grayish dust. They say that the mental influences are very bad, too. A num- numbers went queer in the years after of Datham's talking. They always lacked the power to get away. The stronger-minded folk all left the region, and only foreigners tried to live in the crumbling old homesteads. They could not stay, though, and sometimes wonders what in sight beyond ours their wild, weird stories whispered and of whispered magic has given them. Their dreams at night, they protest, are very horrible and gro- in this grotesque country. And surely the very look of the dark realm is enough to store a morbid fancy. No traveler has ever escaped the sense of strangeness in those deep ravines. And artists shiver as they paint the thick woods whose mysteries, as is much of the spirit as of the eye. I myself is curious about the sensations I derived on my lone walk before Ami told me of his tale. When twilight came, I had wished some clouds would gather. For odd timidity of the deep skyey voids which had crept in my soul. Do not ask me for my opinion, for I do not know. It is all. There's no one but Ami to question, for Arkham folk will not talk about the strange days, and all three professors who saw the arrow light and the colored globules uh, are dead. There were others. Depend upon that. One must have fed itself and escaped. Probably another, which was too late. No doubt it's still down in the well. I know there is something wrong with the sunlight I saw above the miasma. The rustics say that the blight creeps an inch every year. So perhaps there is a kind of growth or nourishment now. But whatever demon hatchling there is, it must be tethered to something. Or, s- or else it would have quickly spread. Is it fastened to the roots of those trees that claw the air? One of the current Arkham tales about fat oaks that shine and move as if they ought not at night. What is, only God knows. In terms of manner, I suppose only the thing Ami described could have been called a gas. But gas obeyed laws that were not of our cosmos. There was no fruit of such worlds and sun to shine on the telescopes and photogenic plates. This is no breath 
from the skies whose motions and emissions our astronomers measure or deem too vast to measure. It was just a color out of space, a frightful messenger of the unformed realm of infinity beyond all nature we know, from realms whose mere existence stunts the brains and numbs us with black extra cosmic gulfs it throws open before our frenzy eyes. I doubt very much that Ami consciously lied to me. I do not think his tale was all freak. I do not think his tale was all freak, a freak of madness, as the town folk had forewarned. Something terrible came to the hills and valleys on that meteor. And something terrible, though I know not in what proportion, still remains. I am glad to see the water come. Meanwhile, I hope nothing will happen to Ami. He saw too much of the thing, and its influence was so insidious. Why has he never been able to move away? How clearly he recalled the dying words of Nathan's. Can't get away. It draws you. You know something's coming, but taint no use. Ami was such a good old man. When the Resvrog gang gets to work, I must write the chief engineer to keep a sharp eye on him. I would hate to think of him as the gray, twisted, brittle monstrosity which persists more and more in my troubling sleep. There's a lot going on there. There is. Man, imagine being in the eighteen. Uh, imagine being in the eighteen hundreds and seeing like a laser shoot in the sky, though. Oh my god. <sighs> So, you would lose your damn so mind. So, hopefully you stuck around. That one is a good, like, probably going to be about a two hours, maybe, or so. Um, so, yeah. I hope you listen to all of it, um, because it is a very good story. If not, you can seek it out. It's public domain. You can look it up um, pretty easily. Or purchase one of the books. I mean, it's they're also pretty cheap. Uh, there's a reason why I think a lot of people lauded this this book like i mean this short story it's it does a really good job at um actually you know keeping that dread alive and like just just very slightly like inching it forward and uh i think a lot of the others i think well for example the last episode we did was the um the the statement of randolph carter well, that was written pretty well and everything. That one was just kind of like, it kind of hit you with a horror and kind of just stayed about the same the entire way. This one did, this one did a very steady build up, and it was a, yeah, it was a slow yeah, and, burn. And the way that it would bring back previous information, like as soon as you get like a new revelation and stuff, it just keeps on bringing you back to where you have that, like mm -hmm. that, that dread. Um, and it never, like, it never goes away. It kind of wanes every once in a while, but it, it's always there. Yeah, and I think there's only a couple of sentences. I'm, th I'm thinking like you could get rid of like two sentences, and I know that's being nitpicky, but the whole thing about like, oh, this was built yeah. at this time, and oh, he found a stick for some reason. I mean, uh, you can get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can get rid of those. But it, I, th I mean, there's, but yeah, I don't know what else to say about this, but it's like pretty good, and I don't. 
I mean, it's it throws some casual racism in there, being like, oh, even these brown people don't like this. But, but like, I'm, yeah, a lot uh, of classism. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of. I'm not gonna, uh, you know, start hashtag HP Lovecraft is over party. Um, <laughs> he's, he's already, already dead, dead, you know. But, but yeah, he's this is dead. just, uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say. It's a good story. Um, it's wonderful. There's a reason it's been adapted so many yeah. times. It's really good. Yeah, and actually, it does a really good job at playing off like the classism of like the city folk against like the rural people. As well as just like yes, like yeah. if this was like, like maybe if like anyone showed him any compassion, like they would have been able to save their family. This could have been avoided. Wow, yeah, amazing! It's just it, like they just you know kept with their rumors and everything, and slowly just cut themselves off. Yeah, the way they doubted Nathan even from the beginning, and he's like, "Oh, it was bigger and it shrunk," and they're like. Pfft whatever and then they come back the next day they're like oh yeah it did shrink didn't it <laughs> so yeah i guess uh to round out this extra long episode uh let's just talk really briefly about the manga adaptation but so yeah there was a uh a pretty faithful manga adaptation by by a uh, tona b uh gal it's beautifully drawn like oh it's the art is wonderful yeah i i found a scan of it online that had like a I found a scan of it online, but it does a does a really good job. Like it has a um it's just six chapters long. And if you don't know how long a manga chapter is, it's normally about like forty, like anywhere between twenty and forty pages normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the ones in this one are typically twenty five to thirty five pages in this specific Yeah, and it just does a really good job at just kind of capturing um, just the dread as well. Like. Yeah, it also fixes some of the pacing with it as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it does condense some of the stuff that can be condensed. Like, we didn't get, yeah. like, the like the part where, like, the house was about to, like, eat them, basically. Like, that one. Oh, no, that oh, part no, no, was that's in there. in there. No, but that was condensed down. Yeah. Like, quite a bit. Because, like, yes, you don't really yeah. have to. But this is also, like, a visual medium, so. Uh, yeah, it it takes a lot less time to show you than for it took for H.P. Lovecraft to which describe again, it. Described beautifully. Yeah, uh, to describe in a way that makes it uh, terrifying. It's it's easy just to show that straight off, like all in one page. I, I just this also does a pretty good job at like you know showing the color. I mean, not in color, but showing the color mm-hmm. as, like, kind of otherworldly. Um, like, it does, like, this yes. effect where it's almost, like, this swirling, hard-to-describe, like, color. Um, and it does that for pretty much everything that was affected. Like, later, like, it happens to the fruit and, like, the bugs and stuff that was mentioned in the first part. There's some artistic liberties you can take with, like, it's very detailed, but there's some things that are not described in full. I feel like the artist did a really good job of doing that. Like, I really liked how the color acted in different ways at different times. Sometimes it was just like a blob. Sometimes it was more like gas. Sometimes it looked like a flame. There was the laser part, obviously. <laughs> but I liked how 
the artist made it do different. Like it wasn't all just like it looked just like a gas or just like a flame. It was all those things. And I and yeah, I would definitely um it's a really good adaptation. I would definitely seek it out. It doesn't take long to read or anything because it's mostly pictures. Um, but, but yeah, it does also does a really good job at like showing like the weird animals. Yes. Oh yeah. That's one of those things I was glad. That's another one of those artistic liberties. Like it describes them in some way, but there's still a lot of leeway in the, yeah. Especially the bugs. Yeah. It's, um, which is one of the things I kind of like about when you do like a visual adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft is it really like draws on the well if they're doing it right I should say um, it draws on the uh, the illustrator or artists um, or filmmakers you know whatever uh, it draws on their imagination by quite a bit like they're trying to imagine something that is alien to us and there's a, there's a little bit of limitation to it because we can only imagine what we can imagine um but it does it in such a way that is just well just downright spooky so yeah uh these are both uh, 10 out of 10s uh, we will have an extra episode out besides the audiobook uh, where we cover color out of space the movie starring nicholas cage yes. um Yes. Let me tell you, there will be mention of alpaca milk, and it's so. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so yeah, we will. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that in some form or manner uh, afterwards, and talk about the adaptation and if we feel like it was a good adaptation. But spoiler, I think it is. But, but yeah, okay. Well, uh, this has been. You can go find my. If you like spooky stories being read by somebody, you can go find my channel where I read uh, creepypastas, uh, spooky poems, short stories over at McSpooky Sweaters on YouTube. Uh, I think I have about 15 things on there, and I'll be adding some more stuff soon. But there's not just creepypastas, there's a couple um, poems on there as well. So one thing that I'm going to find very adorable is whenever you say bag or anything with the AG. Bag. It's going to be yep. great. It's going to take me being just yep. like, ooh, this is spooky. I'm just like, ooh. Aw. <laughs> there it is. There's the Montana exit. It's so silly. Oh, and oh, water. Yeah. There's no there's no hard tea in there yeah. for us. It's water. Well, um, well. Uh, At least I don't say mm. Pillow. Like a Californian. I'm just. I mean, I don't mind it per se. There's very few things. I don't. There's very few things that (laughs) normally I'm just like accents are accents and I like them. Uh, Normally. Um, I'm going to say this off. I'm just going to say it off. We need to end this uh, thing. Um, So I've been talking a lot and my throat is uh, is hurting. Um, So I'm going to just end this. So yeah, this has been. over in Smith and beware that strange glowing. Bye. Bye.
song.